Hey folks, welcome to this week's podcast. Something a little bit different this week. John Auer and Ken Stringfellow of the Posies dropped by with an acoustic guitar and a borrowed acoustic guitar of mine, and they sang a couple of songs for us. They were kind of in and out. They left at uh, early in the morning to get here uh, early, a quick sound check on the air, and then they literally hit the road a few seconds after uh, the final note you hear. Uh, so there, there's a lot to celebrate in their world. They're reissuing some records in, in the middle of a big tour. You'll hear all about it uh, in this interview. Uh, coming up, Steve Barry, the songwriter who worked a lot with uh, P.F. Sloan, who former guest on this program, uh, and then done, did a ton of stuff afterwards that I wasn't aware of. Uh, it's going to be quite interesting. The Bakersfield Breakers are going to play a live set on the show. Keep your eyes on WFMU.org slash Michael for the uh, list of upcoming guests. And uh, have a great summer. Here it is. Uh, the Posies, John and Ken of the Posies, live in the Studio A. I love that record. Ah, Nikki Hill. All right. Uh, John and Ken from the Posies, I believe, are here, and I believe we We're should be. definitely able- here. We are. Are you reading us? I am reading you. Amazing. Loudish and clear. You've got your head. Yeah, Glenn's got his headphones on. Uh, I know you guys woke up at 5.45 this morning to we be here. We rode at 5.45. Oh, so what time did you wake up? From uh, Boston. We got up at 3 in the morning, actually. Oh, my God. We got Just up kidding. yesterday, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's very rock and roll. Uh, you're in the middle of a big tour, and it's funny, when, uh, when I told people, oh, you guys were coming on the show, a lot of people said, oh, I saw the show and totally awesome. People are really loving uh, this tour. You're going to be at the Valley Ballroom tomorrow. Uh, 30 years ago, the band started. I believe you guys just hooked up, made a cassette album. And then how long till you were signed to Geffen Records? About a year. I mean, we had major labels. Our, our thing was so fluky. We made this homemade cassette in John's home studio, um, which was a nice home studio, nicer than most people had and you know this is back in the day before everybody had computer technology to make home recordings um pressed up some cassettes consigned some at some local record stores dropped some at some radio stations thinking that would be the last we'd ever hear of it and within like 48 hours a commercial station put us in rotation which is nuts yeah um so things accelerated rather quickly from there so you know labels were coming our way immediately we of course wanted to be on pop llama records that was our big goal because our heroes the young fresh fellows uh and bands like the fastbacks and walkabouts etc were on that label so that first cassette called failure was picked up by pop llama as per our wishes um and then we did the next three records on geffen and i always like uh, for me this is an interesting question when you because Geffen was coming off Nirvana, right, and they just had not no not at all pre Nirvana. Yeah, like I meant, Nirvana. I mean it was pre Nirvana, and we were, we were actually signed by the same A and R man who signed oh, Nirvana as well. Yeah. But we were making so it was pre Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, we were we so, were signed in 1989, and, and Nirvana was signed in 1990, and the album came out in 91 for Nirvana. Yeah. So what are the when a huge label like that with a guy who was David Geffen still involved? Not really. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, he was not really in the day-to-day at that point. So what do they say to you? Like, here's what we're going to do for you guys. Like, what is the expectation on their part? Well, I'll tell you exactly what the expectation or what how it went down, really. Actually, we had all these comical interactions with various labels, you know, with RCA and SBK, SBK. Uh, and just, you know, the very, very corporate situation. And wisely, Gary Gersh, the A&R for Geffen, um, came along at the end. And, he, and he's knowing that we we're talking to people that 
to us and our sensibilities probably came off as a little bit um, stereotypical, you know, big label dudes. He came off as very cool and, and said, how'd you like to make a real record for a real label? <laughs> Basically, that was his words. Um, and, you know, the... <laughs> it's a what, little condescending, I mean. Uh, well, he had... He to, had, he to, had the other, to the other labels, yes. Right, but, but he could back it up. Yeah, so yeah. what he had to offer is that, you know, Geffen had, for example, our, one of our absolute favorite bands, XTC, and had happily put out those records when, you know, like albums like The Big Express and Mummer in the States probably sold eight copies um, and stuck with them until... You know what Geffen started with? They started on Geffen in like 1980 because uh, the label started in 1980. Uh, nine years later, they had kind of a hit record with XTC. So we were looking at track records like that as a as a place that we would have a very comfortable home because we were not uh, going to give them an easy. We had nice melodies and stuff like that, but our stuff was a little brainy, like XTC. So we were not going to be a completely easy ride from the get go. We weren't going to write novelty songs. Right. Right, interesting. Uh, I want to talk to you more, but you've got your guitars burning holes in your hands. Can you play us a song this morning? I know it's early, and uh, wait, this is almost I a Bob Seger lyric, I think, or something. Right? <laughs> I know it's early. We've got, it's you've been in the van we've got tonight. So. Yes. Uh, here's John and Ken from the Posies.
And so I'm writing with the hope that someone's reading. But all too likely runs the risk of repeating. But I don't have the guts to prevent the decay. And I'm terribly twisted around what I say and the courage that I threw away. I don't have it now. 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 Sounds great. The sound of four hands clapping. <laughs> uh, somebody on the message board just said, Posies at the Whiskey A Go Go, the loudest show I ever saw in a nightclub. Probably. It's funny because Quite you. Loud. That sounds about right. Why? I think we just. Live were a rock band. Yeah. That's what it is, you know? I mean, I wouldn't say that we aspire to be like. The Who, but we end up kind of coming <laughs> coming across in terms of volume like that quite well, it's, often. It's actually because your first two records are starkly different. They are, yeah. and the recordings are very different from each other, and also very different from how they were instantly presented live. I mean, as soon as we started mm. playing live, we were a rock band live, and that was a bit disconcerting for some people who liked the records at first, I think, but... That's that's kind of the way it went. So we transitioned from the basement to like bringing this to the world was like, oh, this is fun. Turning this up really loud and yeah, we'd we'd never played a live show. We made our first album primarily because well, we played one acoustic show, but um, we couldn't find anybody who wanted to be in a band with these two dweebs. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> so nobody true. was interested. And we, and failure. Our first album was really uh, a, our original intention was to make a kind of demo tape just to get bandmates not not even to get like a gig or certainly not to get on the radio or something like this just to get people to play with us just wanted friends can i can i make a suggestion that you guys turn the volume pots on those two headphones down just the yeah gone nice uh tomorrow night the bowery ballroom part of this 30th anniversary celebration really and it includes reissues of the first three records i think the first one has just come out yeah we, well actually we 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 did reissue Failure, the first album, already a couple years ago. So the reissues we're doing this year Re-reissues. for the 30th anniversary are Dear 23 from 1990, Frosting on the Beater from 1993, and Amazing Disgrace from 1996. The Geffen era DGC record. Yes. And these are coming out on Omnivore, who always do a great job. And I think they're, du- they're double discs for everything, right? Yeah. Each, um, each CD is a double CD with 90 minutes of bonus material, almost all of which is unreleased. And the LPs are, uh, for Dear 23 and Frosting, they're double LPs at 45 RPM. Wow. That's and the best. Those are those sound great. I don't know if they still do these that's days. The, no, that's, the, that's the idea. That's, that's what Cheryl at Omnivore is pushing for. It's funny. You mentioned XCC because I have like a 12-inch of something for on Geffen, and it's at 45. And it's one of my, the best-sounding records I have. Makes you know? sense. Yeah, it's just like, I think it's Mirror Simpleton or something. It's just like... It, blows up you know when you play it it's just you can turn it all the way up and it just it sounds perfect uh on your pledge music uh, thing one of the the incentives you offered was mm-hmm. guitar lessons i believe any kind of lesson Th- really because that we do guitar bass oh, piano yeah. voice um so far i've done two of them 
and so far they've there was a little bit of vocal coaching in one but generally they just wanted to kind of jam know, on Skype with you get kind of the <laughs> biggest the biggest overview of how, of a how to you know like just music biz for dummies in a way that's so interesting yeah yeah, and uh, is the pledge music thing still open? Oh yeah, it's going to be running all year. Even even when these releases come out, Dear Twenty Three is going to um, actually be out before the end of the month, and then every month and a half or so, the others will follow. Um, but even beyond that, you know, Pledge will act kind of kind of like a record store online uh, for us until at least the end of the year. Uh, Dave and Mike, who are in the record library a few feet from us, I don't know, sleeping or. <laughs> They're hanging out, putting their makeup on, stealing. They're just the not record being in the yes, van. Right. That's what they're doing. They're doing anything but being in <laughs> yes. the van right now. Yes. Uh, uh, so you're back with these guys who are the frosting on the beater era guys. Uh-huh. That's uh, right. Uh, what? Why? I mean, just because the anniversary, it just all everyone well, still gets along, seem right? Because the band evolved personnel wise over the years. Yeah, we we are the indie rock Steely Dan in many ways, <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, with the anniversary, it, it seemed not only logical, but a really pleasant idea, you know, with the reissues and everything. It just kind of, it made sense in a lot of ways. And I think that, you know, people are excited about having these old records be uh, available again. And I think people are excited about having these old men <laughs> together again. I mean, 30 years, uh, you know, when you started the band, records that were 30 years old were from, you know, were Sgt. Pepper. Or, uh, uh, know, were, not not or, even. Or Elvis. Or Elvis, oh, right. Yeah. So what, you know, it seems time space continuum has changed somehow. Yeah, you know, right. We were looking at Louis Jordan records 30 years ago when we were kids, and now the posy seem to still fit into what works now. It's it is a bit insane that, that 30 years have gone by in, in my mind. I mean, it just, it does go by fast. I mean, it's the cliche, but when once you actually get there and you look back at it, you're just like, wow, all that stuff happened. And, and it's Do either of you have kids? Us. Yeah. Having kids makes time bends time a, a little bit I think for it, me yeah it makes it Absolutely. go and yeah it definitely becomes taffy like but I, you know like we go to these festivals and stuff and you know it's I think it's kind of great um, that you know here we are in the year 2018 and you know we'll go to a festival and the bill will be like Yola Tango Dinosaur Junior you know just basically <laughs> bands that changed, that we've yeah. all been coming up as a generation with for a generation, mm-hmm. yeah. do you think? In, you know how I think what, they've aged well. I think that's really why. You know, I, I think you're right. Yes, we didn't less have to go through the '80s that ruined like all the '60s bands when they tried to, <laughs> you know, moder- modernize and became right. really horrifying. Embarrassingly, yeah. Uh, you know how the turtles like go on this tour with this like tie dye poster and they have all these. Guys. Is it like the Happy Together? Right. Tour, you know, will there it? be such yeah. twenty years from now? Will that happen? You know, will there be a flannel background on a poster? Ooh. And, well, you, you got your ideas, man. I <laughs> yes. can tell. So we, yeah. can we? Steal we'll use that. that. Uh, John Hour and Ken Stringfellow of the Posies are here. The Posies dot net is the website where to get information on all this junk. Uh, not only will you be at uh, the Bowery Ballroom tomorrow, but you're going to be on the Toddophonic Todd program uh, next Saturday. The 23rd. Uh, you got a bunch more shows in the United States, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, oh, St. Paul, the same thing, uh, yeah. Wisconsin, Colorado, Utah, Washington, and then off to Europe for a really another densely packed all yeah. over uh, tour. You guys aren't joking around, but uh, you know, we have listeners everywhere, so check theposies.net uh, to see if they're coming near you uh, and tune in uh, a week from 
today to hear the Montage Show. Can you play another song for us? What, what will you play? Uh, we could play something from Frosting on the Beater. That would be apropos. That sounds good. Certainly. How about um, kind of my uh, celebration of the cool and sensible uh, w- women of, indie, of the indie rock scene in Seattle that I was observing in the 90s, who were, a lot of whom were our fans, and they just had their heads together. I thought, this is the generation that's going to make things work. Um, this is called Earlier Than Expected. Sacred pictures with which she will foretell her future. Madonna earlier than expected. La 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 A little premature Madonna Earlier than expected La 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 la
Yeah. Uh, Glenn you. Lutman is doing sound. And, uh, when yeah, Glenn. Glenn. a heck of a job, too. He is. It sounds great. Uh, when Before you guys showed up, I had said to Glenn, I have a feeling it's going to be really good. <laughs> I don't always say, I don't say that every time, and it was really, really good. There's also some water there if you guys want water. You're kind of getting like the Rod Stewart versions of these. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Rod Stewart, so it's, it's not a problem. Um, Ken did a track for the super hits of the 70s, oh, yeah. uh, really the second one, uh, and uh, I want to just thank you for that. Uh, all the artists who've done tracks for that uh, thing deserve a special place in heaven. Do you so. think you could, you could play that track? I played it last week. I could, oh. I could, you want to play it right now? Sure. You want a break? Yeah. Well, when we, how about it when we go? Sure, that? absolutely. That'd yeah. be awesome. Oh, I think a, it's really a, and a fine tribute to Baltimore. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the song is, uh, you know, Moonlight Feels Right, and yeah. it, it's all about Baltimore, the song. I did not know that until your version. Yeah, and the band is from Atlanta, so I have no idea why huh. they got hung up on Baltimore on this <laughs> strangely creepy tune. Pop the top at Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. Yeah, weird. Uh, so... 30 years, there was, a, a, I believe you guys did, in Kiss fashion, a farewell tour. Yeah, 20 some, years ago. That's a point, right. So why the farewell tour? Why, just like, we're sick of this enough already? We were done at one point, for sure, mm. yeah. Were you done with each other, or just done, wanted to make solo records, or? Oh, we, we had some time, we went some time apart, sure, that's, that's fair to say, for sure, yeah. I uh, mean, but it didn't last very long, oh. a couple years, you know. And uh, get back together. We, we thought better. We, we also started yeah. working together. We to, to finalize, you know, us not being together. We, we we started working on a box set. This thing called At Least at Last that came out in two thousand. And and I don't know. At least for me, I mean, when we started going through all these archives and you know making a four CD like kind of retrospective of outtakes and whatnot, uh, we had fun doing it. And that kind of turned into the idea of doing a show or a couple shows. And then before you know it, we did like a three month you know, duo tour of, like, the world. Went to Japan and Europe and, and you know, off and on have been doing stuff ever since. So how old were you when you met each other? Oh, I was 14 and John was 13. Oh, and wow. I had started a little band in our hometown of Bellingham, Washington. And John joined that band, uh, you know, mostly playing covers. Like and, what and covers were you playing? Like Beatles, Stones. Uh, you Don't Want Me Anymore by Steel Breeze? Uh, <laughs> Perhaps, perhaps. It's true. Um, You know, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a very ambitious band. It was just, you know, playing in the garage, basically. But it got John and I talking, and we realized that we were probably a little more ambitious than the rest of our bandmates, um, arguably. But um, So as 14-year-olds, did you have to fire some guys? It, uh, things fell by the wayside, and we kind yeah. of were the ones left standing. Is what I think. That's how I perceive it, really, in a lot of ways. Like, and also, you know, I had the studio. Like, I mean, my father was a, you know, uh, top music and was kind of an amateur musician. But you know, this kind of became like a clubhouse in a way. You could say. I mean, we spent tons of hours. I mean, I, I put in personally as far as a recording engineer. Like, I got my ten thousand hours, you know, there in my house before I left high school. Oh. I mean, so you know, that's. You know, that's a lot of the the attraction. Also, I think is the fact that we had this place to work together, and we, you know, we also, uh, you know, we had similar sense of humor. I think too, and yeah, that helped a lot. You know, a lot of these kids that we were in bands with were like talking about like you know the Porsches they were right, going to buy and exactly. stuff like this. We were like, we want to make cool records. We wanna make, yeah, yeah. we want to write good songs. You know? So that relationship between you two develops. I'm going to guess very much like siblings in for good and bad. You know, uh, you could. That's did you have really s- true. siblings? 
Do you, uh, do you have he, real brothers? I have I have a half brother, but he didn't wasn't living with me at the time. It's a it's a very long, complicated story. Yeah. I don't have time to get and into. I was an only child, so yeah. so you yeah. really were wrong. brothers. That's yeah. so cool. There's there's some of that there, sure. Yeah, that's a lot of history. That's and it, the history it still continues. It, continues. It, you know? Sometimes it's you know Gallagher like, and sometimes. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it, it it goes. It's gone many different directions. But yeah, it's true that a lot of things about playing together and with uh, Dave and Mike on this tour, it's is it's very nice to be adults and be on in this tour. Well, and that how has things changed? I mean. Uh, I remember you, Todd, whose show you're going to be on next week. I and he used to run Maxwell's for years, and I said to him like, "How how have things changed?" You know, at the end of Maxwell's, he was like, "Well." No band ever asked for water, uh, you know, when they started Maxwell's, and now every band needs a case of water. So, you mm-hmm. know, like the idea that so things, so how have things changed for you guys? Like in terms of sound, in terms of traveling, in terms of attitude, crowds, money. Well, uh, for for me personally, uh, you know, having done like record production and all kinds of stuff in the intervening, you know, last twenty five years, or whatever, I can say that just the sound of the band. You know, for for my part, what I'm contributing with my guitar tone, for example, is at a way much more clear and wonderful sounding level. We've all kind of got our sounds and techniques dialed. Um, I mean, arguably, John and Mike had a kind of prodigy aspect to them each, um, where they were they kind of entered this band sort of fully formed as musicians in many ways. Um, but uh, and you could say that Dave and I were more basic musician-wise back in the day, but we've all worked hard on what we do, and now I think it's four guns blazing. Yeah, there's been people at the shows who have said that we sound better than we did back then, too, and I think that's arguably true, you know? Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, It's amazing. It's such a great story. Uh, It's a band people love, and I remember remember Steve Wagner, the first time he played uh, Frosting on the Beater, I guess it was a cassette in his his van for me and he was like yeah you gotta check this out you know it's like you know it becomes soundtrack to your life you know and then your life changes and you have a flash you know it's and it's i just love that it continues it's you're also two songwriters is is that has that always been easy to navigate i mean it means only having to write half as many songs when you want to put out there's the workload does get shared and there were bands that we admired that had that same kind of template i mean husker du is a band that we worshipped I mean, mm-hmm. it's totally true to say. And, you know, you got Bob Bolton, and Grant Hart, and they're very complimentary but different, obviously. But they work together under under one roof very mm-hmm. well, I think. So. And it's funny. For some reason, you know, like with with Husker Du, they managed that very well, uh, you know, marketing-wise. The, you know, Warner marketed Husker Du. But Geffen got really confused at times as to, like, should we focus on one or the other, or both, or not, you know, like it just for some reason uh. it, it befuddled them. Did you have like the guy just, whispering in each ear? ear? Well, I, w- I wouldn't go that far. It wasn't like that, but but what you know, what what do you promote? Who do you promote? It's like, and even now I think that in this day and age it's even harder. I mean, people can't even remember, you know, if if, if it's like Adele, it's like one one you know one name now. Even that's <laughs> how it's, you know, how can you focus on two names? You know, you know, it's like ridiculous. So, um, that's funny. Yeah. That's great. Uh, how about play one more song, at least for us? You're killing us. Yeah. yeah. Well, how many did you right. play? You played two. Right. You, do you really not want to play one more? That's oh, fine. Yeah, of course we're going to do <laughs> one more. Uh, we can do... You brought those pretty guitars. We do it a key down. Well, 
Won't you let me walk you home from school? Won't you let me meet you at the pool? Maybe Friday I can get tickets for the dance. And I'll take you. Won't you tell your dad, get off my back? Tell him what we said about painting black. Rock and roll is here to stay. Come inside, it's okay. And I'll take you. Ken, one of you, I read a recent sort of writing about uh, hanging around with Alex Chilton. I don't know who, which one of you wrote it. Am I thinking? Am I imagining something? It could be either way. I mean, we we both played with Big Star for <coughs> many years. I remember I met him once, and you know, he's a he's an unusual guy. And uh, I was talking to Chris Damey about him, and I was saying, oh, you know, I met Alex Chilton. You know, and, he, and he's like, well, you probably should have just asked him about astrology or something. Then he would have talked to you Gardening. For, for Gardening. hours. Right, he's like, oh, <laughs> these other subjects. Never talk music, yeah. Never talk about music. You just shut you down. Not, not, with, not with us, but with, you know, the, the fans that would come up. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen Alex, you know, uh, many times. Alex just, uh, you know, a fan would come up. And obviously, like, a little bit nervous. Alex just would not want to deal. So Alex would stand there. The guy would put out his hand. Alex would stand there because Alex didn't like shaking hands. Uh, and then the fan would, like, uh, start talking about Big Star. And Alex would, like, look, no expression, and just simply turn on the heel and just walk the other way. <laughs> Ouch. Um, he didn't, yeah, he didn't waste a lot of time on, on niceties or anything like that. But, you know, I've seen him sit down with some a fan who just happened to not ask about music and talk to them for an hour and a half about whatever, soul music or 
Memphis history or whatever. I mean, if you got him on any subject other than himself, huh. he would spend, you know, hours with you. Yeah. I read that Holly George Vincent book, which I thought was great, mm-hmm. but I still didn't crack, like, why he was like that exactly. I, I, well, there's probably a multitude of reasons. Yeah. I mean, you know, how can you sum it all up? I, I mean, mean, hipster parents, teenage fame, yeah, a, that, a lot of drugs and alcohol, m- you know, meeting Charles Manson. Yeah. Um, it, you know. He also he, got, he got burned by a, a friend of his, a, a journalist friend, who, like, had basically printed something that he thought was off the record when they're having this conversation. That's, they, that's the story. He they went, he, yeah, he told the story where he, he, had, uh, he had lunch with a friend who happened to be a journalist mm. and just, like, you're having yeah. lunch and just got off on stories and stuff and found out that all of that went into an article without his without him ever knowing that that was going to be right. the case. so that contributed to him not wanting to do interviews, for sure. No, not wanting to. He has a yeah. hard line, zero interviews. Yep. Um, you know, he had a sense of humor, for sure. I mean, a, a kind of, how would we say, mischievous. He was a mischievous elf Yeah, he had times. definitely the black humor, which was good. You know? It was also fun to sit around with him backstage, because sometimes he'd just grab a guitar and start just playing jazz standards or little classical things. And he was almost... A lot of the time, better when no one was looking, like or at least you know, an, an audience, you know. Yeah, he, yeah, when, yeah, I definitely he had that monkey wrench throwing habit that he couldn't help, he couldn't help himself, and sometimes his shows would be amazing, and sometimes they would be a disaster. But, but it made uh, him fascinating too. That's why we're talking about, yeah, him, you yeah. Know? And I think part of that, he, I think I also knew that a little bit, to be honest. You know? And I, I will say that for the big star shows that we did, you know, we did maybe three or four a year, something like that, occasionally a little bit more over the course of 17 years. Uh, you know, sometimes Alex was grumpy. Sometimes he was not well. You know, he had some he had some uh, health issues at one point. Um, a couple he, of them he was uh, maybe a little... Maybe a little stoned, but stoned, man, yeah. those shows were always awesome. I never yeah. felt like we had a show that was like, ooh, boy. You know, they were... I mean, he he did step up for those shows, even if he looked like he wanted to be a million miles away, that was just a pose. I was a pro at 17 and, and always, yeah. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I guess he knew how to bring it, certainly. Yeah, I saw him once with the box tops, and it was a great show. It was like I, straight, I saw that a straight-up box top yeah. show. You we know, actually were both went to try to see a box top show. Wasn't it down when... Was, yeah, there's, you know, between the World Trade Center Towers, oh, yeah, they doing and it rained out. shows, and it rained out. I we, was you know, there. Went down there. Went. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Uh, John Aaron, Ken Stringfellow is of the Posies. Uh, Theposies.net is the place tomorrow night at the Bowery Ballroom. Uh, do you guys absolutely have to hit the road right now? Let's see how we look. It's quarter of. Oh, yeah, we probably should. All right, where um, are you I've got to recommend also sure. that um, tomorrow at the Bowery, uh, we have a couple of great artists with us. Yeah, I, d- I did not know uh, who that Tara is. Lightfoot is a Canadian uh, songwriter, guitarist. Guitarist, um, I call her a, a shredder songwriter. She, you know, she plays an SG. She plays real rock and roll in a, in a great way. Something along the line of the band or Crazy Horse or something like, like that. Yeah, she, she's the real deal. She's the real deal for sure. And then there's uh, Valley Lodge with Mr. Dave Hill. Oh, they'll be FME's own. Yes, there indeed. You go. You see, so it's uh, it's old home week. It is uh, uh, next week on Todd's show and uh, all over the United States of America between now and July seventh, and then all over Europe. So it's a it's it's a, you guys are doing a lot of work. Actually, uh, uh, we're at the Hamilton D.C. tonight, and Chris Stamey is opening for us. Oh, fun! All right, yeah. I know there's people in D.C. listening right yeah. now. I know we 
regular communicate with our DC listeners. Uh, and then all these three records are coming out on Omnivore, and I think the last one comes out in October, so check that out. I've got the all two discs of Frosting and the Beater here. Can I? Would you guys like to hear one of those? While oh, you? if you want to preview one of those, yeah. What, and what, do, you, what do you want to hear? What's an Because he's got the bonus tracks and everything. Uh, well... There's there's all kinds of demos and other stuff. I don't think there's anything that's like like band full band on that. Is Start a Life the full band? Here, track. We can hear some Start a Life. Disc there's one. A, yeah, sure. I'll put my glasses. Oh, you yeah. know, actually, there's a there's a uh, there's open every window. Oh, open every window. Open every window. That's yeah, a great track. That, that'd be awesome. This is, uh, I believe, featuring. Uh, well, it's got Mike Musburger and also uh, the bass player who was on. This is before we got into making frosting and, and moved on from our first bass player. So it's uh, Arthur Rick Roberts playing bass on this. But it sh- you should have that. It's called Open Every Window. You got oh, yeah, that? there it is. It is track 16. It's a corker. It's a stormer. All right. A uh, uh, the posies. Uh, John <coughs> and Ken, thank you. Dave and Mike in the other room, thank you, guys. Uh, Glenn, thank you so much for waking up early, setting up everything. Yeah, S- sounded excellent. Uh, go see him tomorrow night at... Um, at the Bowery Ballroom tonight, Washington, D.C., and in a theater near you. Thank you, guys. Amazon.